Welcome to the Pad Pod. My promise to you today is that today's episode will be the best episode ever. Today's topic might be a familiar one to you. It's self-sabotage. And if you're anything like me, you are an expert saboteur. Now, I don't like to brag, but I've been dabbling with self-sabotage, oh, I don't know, my entire life? From undermining my goals and dreams to sabotaging relationships and career ambitions. If it can be sabotaged, I've likely have done it at some point in my life. Now, as precious persons on our way to burial, my question for us to consider is, what is it that we're going to attend to while we're on earth? Are we attending to the things that matter? Or are we attending to the superficial things that reward us with cheap, useless dopamine, making us jump from one YouTube video to the next or one TikTok video to the next? I'd go so far as to say that the outcome of every goal you've ever had or will have isn't the actual goal that you're, that you're really after. What you're actually after is who you become after having gone on the journey and reached the destination that is a goal. For all of us, what's in the way of who we could become is our habit of self-sabotage. We're all saboteurs, whether we realize it or not. And you might be asking, Alex, aren't there other things in the way of who you could become besides our habits and patterns of self-sabotage? Sure, no doubt. But self-sabotage is most certainly present and likely a lead domino standing in your way. Now, it's a difficult thing to consider that you might be the source of all or most of your setbacks in life. But here's the thing. We are animals in our nature, and we've adapted to three simple strategies to ensure our self-preservation. The first is to seek pleasure, the second is to avoid pain, and the third is to stay efficient. All of these strategies are meant to keep us safe and protected. They come at a great cost. They stop us dead in our tracks from reaching what Stephen Pressfield calls our highest calling. And Carl Jung expressed a similar sentiment, but he just named it something different. He refers to it as individuation or self-actualization. Self-sabotage is in direct opposition to this. Another way to think about it is fulfilling our genetic capacity and becoming who we are. So again, self-sabotage is the antithesis of becoming who we are and fulfilling our genetic capacity. Because the reason why we self-sabotage is to remain safe within the value system we grew up in at the expense of our highest calling. We become saboteurs and we get in our own way to stay in this little bubble of predictability and comfort we create for ourselves. 
And sabotage offers us the comfortable illusion of control by reliving old patterns from the past. Now, the purpose of this episode is to cultivate awareness of your own self-sabotaging behavior and to identify what triggers these behaviors in you. And by raising awareness around these patterns, we can begin to witness as well as participate in these patterns and begin to free ourselves from them. I'm including an exercise in the show notes that helps you discover the story behind the story of your self-sabotaging. Because there's always a story behind a story. It just requires a little bit of digging to find out what that is. And this is a key step to helping you stop sabotaging behaviors. So here are some common reasons why we self-sabotage and what we can do about it. The first is you don't know what you want. And it's underrated. It's an underrated reason as to why someone might self-sabotage. But in, in essence, it stems from a lack of clarity around values. So let's say you struggle with sticking to a diet. How much work have you done to really understand and clarify the reasons behind your goal of dieting? At a surface level, it might be you want to lose weight or you want to look better in a bathing suit at the beach. But why do these things matter? Why is it personally meaningful to you to lose weight? What will that help you achieve or feel or experience? Let me give you an image for this. Imagine yourself as a, as a king, as a pagan king in a pagan courtroom with unruly members of the court. You know, these, these members are those, those who counsel you and offer you guidance and suggestions on where to go next and how to act in your campaign of expanding your empire, the empire that's, that's the king's empire. But the king in charge here is disempowered. The king can't really bring order to this courtroom. The members of the court are talking over the king. They're, they're talking over each other. They, they're just becoming belligerent and unruly. And the king can't really seem to focus their energy and attention in a unified direction. And the reason why that's the case is because the king isn't clear in the direction that he himself is embarking in. He's unclear in what he values and in what direction to move forward in. And so because the king simply is unaware of his own personal values, he feels disempowered because he makes no progress in moving towards those values and he makes no progress in unifying the courtroom to support his progress. And so he questions his abilities and what he's capable of achieving. He questions every move he makes and he overanalyzes past and future decisions. He ruminates and overthinks and overrationalizes because of a lack of clarity, setting him farther and farther away from his own personal goals and the goals of, of expanding his empire in this case. Now, the members of the courtroom here, you can think about as the king's emotions. It could be 
you know, there's a, a member of the courtroom is represented as anger, another is represented as lust, another as greed, another as love, for instance. All of these emotions are personified as individuals in the courtroom. And self-sabotage here happens when the king gets pulled into unhelpful behaviors by the members of the court at the expense of his own values. Now, it's a lot easier to resist the things you don't want when you have a clear vision for what you do want. And so to resist the unruly, manic pulls from the members of the court, the king needs to empower himself by strengthening his understanding of his own values. And the best way to do that is to clarify them, to make them really, really specific and juicy. The next reason why someone might self-sabotage is because they have a harsh inner critic, a, a voice in their mind that constantly or predictably judges them, criticizes them for things they did or things they didn't do or things that they should have done differently. Now, many people don't realize that the stream of negative self-talk that happens just before a self-sabotage episode. This can look like, again, judgment or criticism, and we are often unconscious of it. And it can make a difficult task almost impossible to do, hence the self-sabotage. But it turns out when you respond to challenges with more self-compassion and kindness, the same way you would if you saw a friend who was struggling with something, your own capacity to deal with your challenges is far greater than you realize. The next common reason why we self-sabotage is perfectionism. I view perfectionism as an addiction to unrealistic standards. There are sometimes, there can sometimes be a fear of being wrong or being rejected or of criticism. And this leads a person to want to control what they're doing to the point of perfection. But it often comes at a pretty big cost. But of course, most things, including who others imagine you to be, is outside your control. Perfectionism can feel motivating in the short term, but it creates self-sabotage in the long term. And not only that, it comes at a great cost. The need for control and making sure everything is perfect requires the sacrifice of your serendipity and your playfulness. And you can only take so much frustration and disappointment before you throw your hands up, quit, or start to unconsciously give yourself a way out of all of the painful feelings you don't want to feel by sabotaging the whole project you're working on. Another common reason why we self-sabotage is worry. This is ultimately a self-fulfilling prophecy. Worrying is used to avoid feeling the discomfort of a lack of control or of uncertainty. And it ultimately solves nothing, and it makes you incredibly stressed and really just difficult to be around. And this simply just makes it another great way to self-sabotage yourself. And paradoxically, the 
paradoxically, the certainty of life is uncertainty. So the more we can embrace this truth, the really the the less self-sabotaging we encounter, at least in regards to having to deal with worry. The less we worry, the less we we feel this this need to to have an iron grip over future situations and that that just that really we we just have less control over than we might think another reason why we self-sabotage are limiting beliefs you're not good enough you're unworthy no one loves you you don't deserve it that's a a common one for me that last one in fact i'd say all of these are common ones for me and on and on it goes many many folks think that these thoughts are unique to them but in my experience with coaching we're all more alike than we are different and the oldest parts of the brain that we share with reptiles for instance are specialized for self-preservation and produce within us these these thoughts to keep us safe. I call this your lizard brain. The areas of the brainstem, for instance, it's it's always on the lookout for, this part of the brain is always on the lookout for potential dangers. And it activates your nervous system by repeating old, old beliefs you likely picked up before you were seven years old. So one strategy here is to give your lizard brain a name. So that when these limiting beliefs appear in your mind, you can say, oh, that's just Liz, my lizard brain. And believe me, if you're doing anything worth doing, if you're pushing up against your comfort zone, if you're, if you're taking one step beyond your comfort zone, doing anything, yeah, that's just worth doing. These old belief patterns you're, will be turned on. Your lizard brain will play as if on repeat some of these old beliefs that you've likely have carried with you, they've remained unquestioned and, and kind of just pop up and stop you dead in your tracks whenever you want to push yourself up against your own edge, so to speak. Now, another reason why we self-sabotage is because you're afraid to be assertive. Many people ignore their wants and needs out of fear. And fear can show up in many forms, one being fear of upsetting or disappointing others. But let me ask you, how can you hope to meet your goals if you're unwilling to ask for what you want? If you want to stop self-sabotage and think this is a culprit of yours, do the work to understand the basics of assertive communication. What can also help here is integrating your shadow. Learning to fight, for instance, is a really good way of channeling aggression in a constructive way. Another is to do shadow work. And you can find a great shadow work resource on my website, alexpadrone.co. Uh, also check out episodes three and eight on the podcast that talk about integrating your shadow. Another reason we self-sabotage is because we, we lack clear boundaries and we lack self-respect. When it comes to a lack of self-respect and a lack of boundaries, part of the ego thinks that we need to lose ourselves 
to please others and make them happy so that we are happy. And this is incorrect at the level of first principles. The reason being is that it assumes that happiness is derived from others. And you can derive happiness or you, well, you yourself can make someone happy and they in turn can make you happy. But, but this, that isn't where happiness or the source of happiness originates from. The, the true source of happiness and of peace, and these are really two of the same things. Happiness is peace in motion. Peace is happiness at rest. The source of peace and happiness stems from your being. In who you essentially are in your essence is peace and happiness itself. And the thing is, we, you know, we, we live in a materialistic worldview, culture. We live in a culture that has a materialistic worldview and presupposes that there, there's only this materialistic world with which you should act and engage with and says nothing or it says very little about spirituality and looking within yourself to derive what you might feel you're lacking in are therefore going out into the world and trying to seek through objects, through activities, and through relationships. And it isn't that you can't derive happiness from objects, activities, or relationships. You certainly can. But the mechanism of action that's going on there is that the moment you acquire an object, an activity, or a relationship that you've been seeking, what happens is that you stop desiring. You stop seeking. And that lack of tension allows for, if I could use a metaphor, just imagine a cloudy, cloudy sky and suddenly the clouds part and you can see the blue, the bright blue sky beyond the dense canopy of clouds. When, when the sky pierces through, you get to taste that peace and happiness just for a split second until the very next object, activity, or relationship begins to call to, to call you in order for you to, to derive happiness. So again, I, this is just wrong at, at the level of first principles. You can go directly to peace and happiness without needing to go through an intermediary activity relationship. And in fact, if you do this, if you seek peace and happiness at, at the source, you actually bring more peace and happiness to your relationships because they no longer become, you no longer show up as this, this vulnerable, lacking, kind of needy person it, in the relationship. You, you show up as a source of peace and happiness yourself and your relationships become vehicles with which to express and to share your peace and happiness rather than to come at it from this kind of, I need more happiness, give me, do this so that I'm happy, or don't do that so that I'm happy kind of perspective. And so, yeah, having, having a lack of boundaries and, and a lack of self-respect, you lose respect for yourself when you constantly meet the obligations of others at your own expense. 
uh, a lot of self-sabotage stems from a lack of confidence and a lack of self-respect. And it's hard to respect yourself when you don't respect your boundaries. And seriously, how can you respect yourself and act confidently and avoid self-sabotage when you're unwilling to stand up for yourself and to enforce your boundaries? And this ties this ties pretty pretty heavily with this other point I raised on on a lack of a lack of assertiveness. So here's what can help with this. Being really, really specific with your boundaries. The more specific, the better. The second is not setting any boundary you're not willing to enforce. The third is to give praise to others when your boundaries are respected. And the last is to clarify the reason behind your boundaries. Having a very clear reason as to why you have such why you have certain boundaries will help you enforce them because you're you're clear on on again this this again ties more toward this whole point of values you're clear on the reason behind what it is you're doing and so you've if you think about that that image of that disempowered king we are empowering the king with meaning and if the king has meaning he can communicate that meaning to the rest of the members of the courtroom and they can channel their energies in support of the campaign and the mission the king is undergoing. With the lack of not having a clear reason, not having a clear why behind your boundaries or why you do anything, not having intention, makes it very, very difficult for you to not just cast meaning, but to organize your internal energy systems to fuel you and to vitalize what whatever it is you might be doing. Now, Frederick Nietzsche gave us a powerful image with which we can conceptualize self-sabotage. Nietzsche introduces Zarathustra, this wise sage that separated himself from, from society and then returns back to society. And he, he, he talks about the powerful image of the dragon, thou shalt. This is a, an enormous dragon with the words, thou shalt, written on its scales. This phrase, thou shalt, refers to all of these societal, cultural, and familial expectations and pressures others have of you. It's what you should be doing, who you should and shouldn't be, so forth. This is, you can think about it as like familial material, culture, cultural material. It's the cultural material within you that hasn't yet been separated from you. So you're, you're somehow, you're sort of enmeshed with it, in other words, and you're unclear as to what part of you belongs to culture and what part of you belongs to who you essentially are. And these expectations can and often do disconnect you from your essential self. The essential self being who you were meant to be at a genomic level. You can think about it as, as an operating system, if you will. You were born with this intact, whole operating system, genetically programmed, and then you, that operating system hit upon the operating system of culture. And others began 
giving you suggestions and you you're of course a, a child so you you don't have much say here but you began installing all of these suggested bloatware from culture and from and from others around you who influenced you and all of these suggested apps kind of just get in the way of of the operating system with which you were born with and some of this bloatware is actually helpful don't get me wrong but but some of it for sure disconnects you from from your essential nature and this is actually the source of of addiction when we disconnect typically when whenever there's someone's an addict or addicted to something there's a pain that they've that they're masking there's there's pain within them that they're not feeling and they're using the addiction to help them self-regulate and this could be an, an addiction to alcohol cannabis over shopping overeating overthinking really anything that helps you regulate yourself and provides a short-term benefit at the expense of a long-term you know at the expense of long-term health benefits for instance or have, it has some sort of long-term deleterious effect and what gabor mate teaches us is that there the the true pain behind addiction isn't the pain of the traumatic event that you experienced the trauma be behind the trauma is that you disconnected from your own essential nature in the moment the trauma arose so there's a, the external trauma whatever circumstance or situation you found yourself in and then the internal trauma of okay this this what this represent actually what this situation actually represented was myself disconnecting from myself and this this strikes at this balance between authenticity and belonging we are social animals and and do require belonging to a group but if that gets if, if the balance there gets swung in that direction too heavily we lose our own authenticity and we lose that connection with our with who we essentially are and we start to become who others expect us to be and in doing so we we start to create all kinds of problems for ourselves addictions being one of them now some of these scales on this dragon are thousands of years old and others have been freshly created this very day this is what creates your pattern of self-sabotage in its essence fear this dragon symbolizes fear itself. Part of you wants to achieve something, and, and another part of you, of course, is afraid of encountering the dragon thou shalt. So we, we try to stick our necks out, we try to get to our edge, create something new, develop a new identity, really just do anything that culture, anything new for us that, that those around us may not either approve of accept of or want us to do given who they imagine us to be and so the dragon thou shalt comes knocking on our door reminding us oh you should be of what you should be and what you shouldn't be doing and who you should be and who you shouldn't be so this isn't to say that there isn't a place for rational fear of course there there's certainly room for fear is is just a, a given in in our experience and it's no doubt important for our safety but when fear becomes imbalanced it begins to hold us back in life and this can look like a fear of commitment 
a fear of uncertainty, a fear of change, a fear of failure, fear of losing control. All of these get in our way. So self-sabotage arises from you don't know what you want. You're not clear on your values. You have a harsh, self-critical inner voice. You have an addiction to perfectionism that you don't think is an addiction, but probably think is some sort of virtuous habit of yours. You over-worry or, or really just worry about what you can't control. There are limiting beliefs operating within you that are kind of driving you unknowingly and, and making you hold back when you want to not hold back. And a lack of assertiveness, this is, a, I think, a pretty big one, a lack of assertiveness really, really impacts and contributes to your self-sabotage behaviors and patterns. And the last one, lack of clear boundaries and a lack of self-respect. Do any of these resonate more or less with you? I, I know I see parts of myself really in all of these to different extents, and more so some when I was younger than, than others. And are there ways to overcome our inner saboteurs? No doubt. In the show notes, you'll find an exercise to expand your awareness and to get to the root of your self-sabotage patterns. You can also find shadow work exercises to work on helping you establish stronger boundaries, cultivating more self-respect, and more assertiveness. And you can find the shadow work and the shadow work exercises on integrating your aggression and much more on my website, alexpadrone.co. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.